Perks of Being a Book Lover, a show featuring two completely opposite longtime friends. I'm Carrie, who brings the practical buzzkill vibe to this partnership. And I'm Amy, the upbeat, social, and gullible one. Each week, we have book nerd conversations with each other and sometimes a special guest. We not only talk about what we're reading, but also book-adjacent topics such as... Stuff we've had to Google while reading. New titles on our TBR list. Books we've DNF'd and why. Film adaptations that we've seen. And bookish news. At the end of our shows, you'll have new books to put on your nightstand and a laugh or two along the way. This week, we chat with Tracy Clark, an author whose latest book titled Hyde is set in Chicago and and features a longtime police detective who has joined a new precinct and is having to not only navigate a new professional network, but solve a recent murder on the waterfront. This is Tracy's fifth novel, but the first in this new series featuring Detective Harriet Foster. By day, Tracy is a puzzle editor for a Chicago newspaper, which is perfect for her role as a writer of crime fiction, creating puzzles for her protagonist and readers to figure out. But first, we had sort of an exciting night last night. Yes, compared to my normal Saturday nights, which is (laughs) sitting in my house in my pajamas. So usually in our friendship, I'm the one who drags you places. I drag you out of your comfort zone, out of your pajamas and fuzzy socks and your cat chair, and I make you go places. This week was a little different. The roles are reversed. Because J.H. Markert has a new book out called The Nightmare Man. If you've been listening to our show, you've heard me talk about it. It is one of my sort of rare five-star reads. I I don't throw out five stars very easily. And I read J.H. Markert's book uh, as an arc and loved it. I mean, it was really good. And so he had a book event last night. He's a Louisville writer. And so his book event, it was Carmichael's hosted it or co-hosted it. uh, But it was at Third Turn Brewery here in kind of a suburb of Louisville called Jefferson Town, which is where I live. And Third Turn Brewery is actually owned by a couple guys that I went to college with. So for me, at least, it was, uh, (laughs) it wasn't too much of a stretch to get me to go because it's like really close to my house. So, you know, Amy came by, picked me up. It's literally like three minutes from my house. So, you know, all the stars aligned. Book that I loved, close to my house and it was at seven o'clock so not too late and people that you knew you spent a long time chatting with old friends yeah Erin while her husband is is one of the co-owners she and I I went to school with her husband and we were in a mom's group together anyway so we've known each other for a really long time so we were chatting with her and then we we saw Alice Spielberg, who's a literary agent who is uh, who's a former guest on our show. We saw her and, and spoke with her, and we saw Holly MacArthur, who's also a former guest. So it was it was kind of like a, what do they call that old old home week? Old home week, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The place was packed. Yeah. So Third Turn Brewery is a, a cool place. I'm not a beer drinker by nature. I just I 
They do have some wines listed. They did have some wines listed. And I would have had a glass if I was not doing dry January. Alas, I am doing dry January. (laughs) So no drink for me. Although you did get a cocktail of some sort. I did. It was called Sweater Weather. It had like chocolate and orange. and Yeah. You said it was very good. It was good. It was sweet. It was sweet. So it was my dessert and my drink. Yeah. See, I'm not a big fan of, I I don't want to drink my dessert generally. Oh. Like, I don't like super sweet cocktails. That's just my thing. But the cool thing about Third Turn is they do brew a lot of their own beers. It's a microbrewery, so fun flavors, I guess. I don't know. I'm not I'm not a beer person. But it's also in an old church. They've converted this old church into this brewery. So they have all the stained glass windows still in it. And actually, that building, so the church that I go to, that was their original building. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, it's like full circle for you. It this is. is. It really is. It is old home week, but it was it was a happening place. There were lo- people just playing games in there because they had lots of a room that had lots of board games, and James was set up, and there was a long line of people. You there know, were some dogs there. There were some dogs there. Yeah. I know. So anyway, cool and, place. Yeah, and right next door. So so it's kind of uh, buildings that are side by side. So that's kind of the the brewery part. But then right next door is the bourbon bar. So um, that was that was a much quieter. Which actually, I was like, oh, it's quieter over there. But uh, but if we had gone over there, then we wouldn't have seen all the people that we saw. So I, I sort of fought my introverted nature nature and uh and desires uh but amy got to see some cute puppies and so she was she was happy and we got to see susan one of our other favorite booksellers yes at carmichael so she she had a pretty cool gig she did drink some beer sell some books yeah what's better than that anyway well wishes to uh james markert on this new book it's getting lots of great reviews yeah i bought myself a copy had him sign it so same same i handed it to my husband today i'm gonna hand it to my daughter (laughs) just make the rounds here you go here you go so well i wanted to report back on some listener feedback that we got from our episode last week so in the episode last week i mentioned a book that i thought was a good winter read not a super uplifting book but it was called salt to the sea by ruta sepetis it's a ya historical fiction novel and it is about four um young adults who are trying to make it out of Prussia at the end of World War II to make it to this ship that is going to be crossing the Baltic Sea. It's called the the Wilhelm Gustloff. And this was a real ship. It was a cruise liner, uh, but they were packing it full of soldiers and, and refugees on this boat. And it ended up sinking. Uh, it's one of the greatest maritime tragedies ever. It sank because it was hit by a torpedo. Well, one of our listeners sent us a message saying that her great-grandfather was on the Wilhelm Gustav and actually survived the sinking of that ship and also saved another person as well. But that her grandmother was the youngest of 13 children and her her grandmother's mother, the great-grandmother, got on a different ship than her great-grandfather with most of the children. And so their ship didn't sink, but her father's did, but he survived. That's so fascinating. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, I know. I, so anyway, I thought that was really cool feedback from our friend Tabby. Yeah, so go read that book, Salt of the Sea, Rudis Apetis. It really happened. <laughs> anyway, what else is going on? Mm. Oh, 
And this has nothing to do with books. But, you know, you talked about me dragging you out last night. Well, here's another one for the books, because it rarely happens. I'm going to go shopping today for shoes. So why is it so exciting that you're going to be looking for shoes? Oh, it's not exciting. It actually sucks. But I've decided that I need... I need another pair of shoes. I don't have many pairs of shoes. I have the shoes I'm wearing now, which are like actual tennis shoes or athletic shoes. And then I have my Dansko clogs because I have plantar fasciitis. And I've decided I need a like a cuter pair of shoes. But are casual, but that are also good for people with plantar fasciitis. So we're recording this at my house. And I should take you after we record this and show you my closet with my shoes. I probably have 30 pairs of shoes. Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, let me add. So I have the athletic shoes, the Dansko clogs. I have a pair of like, they're not flip-flops. They're not flat. Because everything I get has to be for people who have plantar fasciitis. But anyway, so they're a pair of slip-on like sandals. And then I have... Two other pairs of like sandals, but so that's it. And I've got a pair of house slippers. That's it. This is a good illustration of how we are opposites. You do not like extra, yes, and I have trouble with moderation. <laughs> so I have thirty pairs of shoes that will not all fit on my on my shoe rack that goes from the. Oh, I thought you were going to say they don't all fit on your feet. No, no, okay. they all fit on my okay. feet okay. for the most part. Now, okay. I have been known to w- buy a pair of shoes that I thought was cute if it was only available in a size, like a half size up or half size down, thinking that I could like, say they're an, I wear like a seven and a half, maybe they're an eight. I think I can wear extra thick socks and make these work. That's like, that's like crazy talk. It is. <laughs> I don't do that very much anymore because I've gotten older and I've gotten wiser, but I have been known to do that. But yeah, I have to show you all of my shoes. Yes, you, you will. But then I'm afraid you'll lose respect for me. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I mean, I don't know. Now, if 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 I walked into your closet and you had like 300 pairs of shoes, people do their own thing. I don't necessarily judge other people. Like some people like shit. I li- I really like shoes. Yeah, and but I mean that's fine. You know, like well, and definitely as I've gotten older, my shoes that I buy have had to get uh, less cute and more comfortable. Mm. Um, Carrie, I think it's time. I don't know if Tracy has a lot of shoes. I don't know. But we she, should ask her that. Yeah, but she sure does have a lot of DVDs and books. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> she so, has a lot of movies in her movie library. So I know that on some things, moderation is probably not her friend either. Yeah, yeah. But uh, let's talk to Tracy. Our guest, our guest this week, who has a lot of patience, not only to write novels, but also to put up with the technology snafus that we've been dealing with trying to get this episode recorded, is Tracy Clark. Tracy, thanks for joining us. You're up in Chicago. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. 
called Chili Chicago. Chili Chicago. I know we asked you what the weather was like and you said it was snowing very gently, which sounds yeah. wonderful to us because we don't get nearly as much snow, but maybe it doesn't sound so great to you because you deal with snow all winter long. But your new book, Hyde, is a police procedural that's set in Chicago, which is your hometown. It's your fifth book, but it's the first in a new series that you have written that features Detective Harriet Foster. So tell us a little bit about what inspired your character of Harriet. Well, um, I was looking for an older character uh, when I envisioned this new series. Uh, Cass is quite different. That's the first series. Um, She's young. She's uh, brash. She's uh, athletic, foolhardy. And I was looking for somebody a little bit more settled. So when I was sort of, you know, casting around for new voices and new characters, I wanted somebody a little older, a little wiser, a little more introspective, and and that's Harriet. So she's a police detective with the Chicago PD, and she's got her team of uh, homicide detectives that she works with, and she's got some stuff that she's dealing with, and she sort of meets the world at a different pace uh, and a different sort of uh, of mindset. Um, She's a little bit more uh, cautious. She's a lot more secretive. And she takes things a little slower. She's not, you know, jumping off buildings or, you know, escaping fires. Um, she's taking her time. So I sort of like that different character. And it's uh, wonderful to sort of now explore all the facets of her, all the levels of her. And uh, it's quite fun for me. So uh, I'm also, you know, a character-driven writer. I prefer characters over plot. And so when I, you give me an interesting character... I like to sort of dig in there and find out what they're about, what makes them tick, what they have to struggle with, what they have difficulties with. And that's the fun for me. So uh, Harriet is sort of deep. She's quiet. She's deep. uh, She's got her brain working and she's got some stuff she's got to deal with. Now, I haven't read your other books, but Mm -hmm. was it more or less challenging to write about an older character versus somebody young? I would, I'm 49. And so... Mm -hmm. I would imagine, or at least, you know, if I thought about if I was going to write a character, it would feel, I think, harder for me to write a younger character just because I haven't been in that mindset. You know, I haven't been 25 for a long time. So did you experience that at all? Not really, because I'm sort of closer to Harriet's age than I am to Cass's. Cass, I think we meet her in the first book. She's like 34, 35. And I can sort of remember what that was like. <laughs> I'm not exactly a, a private investigator sort of running the streets and, and sort of ducking into alleys, but I know <laughs> what the age was like. Harriet's a little closer to me. So uh, we, we worry about different things when we're a little uh, you know, longer in the tooth, right? Uh, we've got different priorities. Uh, things are different for us. And so I, in that sense, she was easier to sort of get a grasp on because I sort of knew where she was, sort of that middle age area. And, you know, and then the other stuff sort of built on and put on her back and complicated her life. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when you start a new series, like you had four books in your other series, was it the type of thing where you just felt like you had gone as far with that character as you wanted to at that time? Or was there another reason that inspired you to start a new series as opposed to just continuing Cassie's story? Well, actually, I sort of left Cass in a sort of uh, at a crossroads. So there was a lot more that I could sort of do with her. But, you know, Kensington contracted for four. I gave them four. They didn't ask for a fifth. So, you know, I went elsewhere. I'm like a writer for hire. Uh, Mm. I go where they tell me to go. So the new series sort of popped up, which is wonderful, three weeks after the other contract ended. And now I have an opportunity to sort of explore something different. And, And, you know, so, yeah, Cass is still there. I have the possibility of going back to her. 
And hopefully at some point I will because I have to some sort of figure out what happened. I sort of left her at a crossroads. Now she could go either left or right. And then I have to sort of clean that up because, you know, I have readers now coming back to me and saying, well, what's she going to do now? I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> I know. But I left it like that. I sort of intended to go back to it and sort of clean that up. Now I have to some time to think about it. So I will figure out what the cast does. But in the meantime, uh, Harry is complicated and uh, she's kind of sort of interesting to sort of, you know, dig. Mm-hmm. I assume that you are not and have never been a police officer. Is that no, accurate? No, 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 <laughs> okay. no. So, so how do you write a police procedural without having lived in that world? Talk to us a little bit. You know, do, do you consult with other people? How do you sort of get immersed in that world so that you, you can write authentically about it? I have police officers in my family. Those police officers have partners. Those partners have other police officers that they know and sort of, again, sort of gang in on. And when I sort of run into a problem or need to know how something works, I pick up the phone and ask or I send a text or an email and the information wafts back at me in a most glorious way. (laughs) And I just sort of assimilate that information and write it down. Sometimes I change it a little bit because this is fiction. I'm not writing a police manual or police step-by-step, this is how they do it. Sometimes that doesn't work for me in terms of uh, fiction or plot or how things work. And so I might twist it a little bit. But basically, I sort of try to keep with what police officers have to do, the things they sort of worry about, the conflicts and the tensions that they sort of deal with on a daily basis, and then sort of incorporate some of that into fiction and genre and plot and craft and all their fun stuff that I have to sort of work on. But I sort of have the foundation there. If I run into a problem, I ask a question. Uh, Police officers love to talk. Any writers out there who are writing police procedurals or anything having to do with crime, find a cop somewhere. They will talk your ear off. (laughs) Uh, They will give you more information than you possibly could use. But all of that's good. So, you know, write as much as you can. When you get stuck, ask. You can always find somebody to ask. And that's sort of how I do it. So I write until I run into a wall pick up the phone and ask, and then I go back. Have you ever been able to go on like ride-alongs or things with some detectives? I have no interest in that. <laughs> when, I say, when I say I'm the biggest chicken, I'm the biggest chicken. All right, it's like me. It's like Walter Mitty. I'm Walter Mitty. All right? I'm sitting at my desk. You know, and envisioning these wonderful stories, these daring dudes and all the rest of that. But don't ask me to get in the police car. I'm not going down any dark alleys at midnight. I'm not doing any of that stuff. Okay. I'm a library cat. I'm the kind of person who give a book and a little pile of ginger snaps and a cold glass of milk. And that's my day. Okay. Now, what I think up on this page at my writing desk, that's something different. That's a no whole different Tracy. But the Tracy that I sort of live in 24 seven has got a book in front of them and I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be inconvenienced. <laughs> Did you always know that you wanted to to sort of write about police and crime and that world or or had you tinkered around with other genres and and decided that this was the best fit for you? Well, uh, I think when I was sort of a little kid, when I started reading for myself, I sort of gravitated towards, you know, Hardy Boys, uh, Agatha Christie, Nancy Drew, so it just sort of grew out of that. That's the sort of things that excited me. I loved reading them. And they always tell you to sort of write what you like to read. So that's how I started with that. I, I just sort of assumed that mystery was going to be my, my niche and my genre. And I started with that. Um, and I didn't shift or sort of pivot a little bit into crime fiction. 
to like the mid 80s or the early mm -hmm. 80s when, you know, that wave of, you know, female crime writers started writing. Uh, Sarah Paretsky, Sue Grafton, Barbara Neely, Valerie Wilson Wesley. Those writers start coming out and I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. This is a whole different thing because now we're incorporating not only crime fiction, but, you know, female protagonists are doing these wonderful things. Uh, and we're sort of discovering these sort of rich characters. And that's sort of, there it is. That's what I want to do. And then it was several years then after that of me sort of trying to figure out the characters that sort of spoke to me and trying to figure out how to write these characters and write this genre. And that's how I got started in it. And I kind of like it. Um, I'm still in it. PI fiction to police procedural. That seems to be my sort of sweet spot. And, you know, at some point I might sort of get bored with that and want to sort of look into something else, maybe a cozy. That would be interesting. I don't know how I could sort of approach it, but, you know, it's not off the table. I thoroughly enjoyed the book. It was Thank a quick you. read and I wanted to find out like, okay, what, what's, what's going to happen. So I enjoyed it. Sure, sure. Thank you. One of the things that I really liked is that the characters are very interesting. Uh, Harriet is very interesting. Uh, some of the other police officers are very interesting. The partner that she starts out with in the book Lonergan is a really difficult person. I mean, he's kind of a jerk. And was it difficult to write somebody who is such a jerk? Or was it like you often hear about actors saying sometimes playing the bad guy. Now, Lonergan's not necessarily a bad guy, but that playing those types of characters is really fun. Was it fun to write that kind of character? It was. Yeah. Uh, I sort of like the jerky characters because there's something underneath that. Right. Um, he's a jerk, of course. And he comes out to her sort of a uh, Guns blazing. I mean, she doesn't even have a, an opportunity to sort of ease into uh, the new team, the new station, the new thing. And there he is. And she's going to have to deal with him. And I sort of like sort of writing that interplay. She's just trying to keep it together for this one 24 hour period until she goes to the next day. And he's on her like, I don't know, like a banshee or something. And she has to sort of deal with that. So that's just another level of the mess that I sort of get her into. She's not only got the new job, the new team, the trauma that she's coming off of. But now she's got to deal with this jerk. And he's was absolutely a joy to write. And he still is. I'm on the second book and he's still a jerk. Um, <laughs> he's going to be a jerk in the third book or the fourth, or how many books there are. Um, he's going to learn a little thing about how to sort of deal with people. But he's got his main jerkiness and it's going to stay there. And it's fun to sort of pick at that and sort of put him against people who may or may not be able to take it. Mm -hmm. There was just something. He wasn't just a jerk, but there was also... <laughs> like this kind of sketchiness I felt yeah. like about him. So he was definitely, you know, unlikable, but also super interesting because of that. Well, you sort of try to make it as muddy as you can. You don't want it to be uh, so crystal clear. So, you know, it's all fun for me. It's like a puzzle and it's my job to sort of uh, put as many red herrings and false starts and dark corners in there as I possibly can to give the reader an experience. So it's fun that you enjoy that. And, uh, you know, probably, <laughs> it'll probably be someone in the second book too. So in this book, you know, we have a very strong female protagonist who also happens to, to be a black detective mm -hmm. in, in the police force. Mm -hmm. And your novel covers some of the challenges that they might face giving the history of police departments in terms of sort of the good old boy network and racism. Mm -hmm. So talk to us a little bit about that. D did you talk to any police officers who might fit the Harriet mold and what it was mm -hmm. like working there? Yeah, uh, when I sort of started the first series, you know, I didn't know anything about 
private investigators or how they worked with the police or anything about working a job, you know, for Chicago Police Department. So I sort of took two police detectives, two female police detectives to breakfast, and I just sort of picked their brain. Uh, and one was uh, African-American and one was not. But, you know, you sort of get not only the job that they do, but the things that they have to deal with. Um, how is it working at, in a militarized department, which is what, you know, police departments are, um, when you're a woman and uh, most of your co-workers are not. You're not as big as your male co-workers. If you get in a scuffle in the street, um, you've got to rely on other things other than uh, brawn and uh, weight and, uh, you know, you know heft. Um, so you've got to use your brain probably more than the other guys do. So I sort of asked them, just asked them, um, how is it? Why did you become a police officer? How is it working out on the street? Have you encountered people like Lonergan? And uh, at the time, it was another character that I had in the first series who was sort of like that. Uh, really, a, you know, really a jerk. And yeah, I, I thought I had gone too far. I, I this never could possibly not be in the in the Chicago Police Department, a detective this <laughs> disagreeable. They just could not. I mean, she had to be washed out. And they said, actually, I've worked with five people like that. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> you know, can you imagine? I have worked with at least five people like that in my in the course of my career. So y- you have to ask. But yeah, you know, uh, she's an African-American police off a homicide detective. She works in a department that is not primarily that. And she has to sort of deal with racism and sexism and misogyny and all the rest of that. There are some bosses that they work for who don't want women in their, on their team. And that will be addressed in, in some of the stories that I'm going to tell. But mm-hmm. you know, yeah, she has to deal with all the things uh, any other has to deal with out on, in the world. Then does she have to deal with the blowback from her own community. She's in a department where she is not the, the majority. Um, she's dealing with all of that. And then when she goes out on the street or the crime scene or something, and she is seen as the enemy to her people, uh, mm-hmm. to the people where she comes from. And she's got to deal with that. So she's got arrows coming at, from every direction, and she's got to keep it moving, keep it moving. I definitely got the sense of reading it that she felt like she needed to be 10 times better mm-hmm. than the white male police officers, mm-hmm. you know, that she was working with in order to be taken as seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I thought that was realistic, you know, and I think as- it's a realistic to not only because of her race, but also because of her sex, mm-hmm. also because of the, the age that she is. She's 43. I think when, when this book starts and she's in there with old timers, getting ready to retire. You know, so they're looking at her like, you know, what are you doing here? Uh, this is how we used to do it. We're old school police officers. And, and here you newcomers come in and they want to change everything. So she's got it from all levels. And I think most of us uh, out here in the world have that at all levels. Women uh, in the workforce have to deal with, you know, these old Lonergans out there in the insurance company or the, the wherever, the college campus, whatever. We've got to deal with these people. And, you know, that's just life. It's so it's so interesting and so depressing too. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's like it makes, uh, it it's true, but it's true. It makes for good fiction. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, again, I will say I really enjoyed your book. Police procedurals are not a genre that I read often. I used to in my twenties, and then I just mm-hmm. you know sort of I don't know moved on to something else for a while. But reading your book makes me want to go back and and read them again. Oh, I'll read some more again. So uh, congratulations. Thank you for talking to us about 
your book, we're going to change gears a little bit. And we're going to just talk to you about your life generally as a book lover. And so, you know, you said that you have loved books ever since you were a little kid and that you always kind of knew that you wanted to write. What's been a book that really changed your life in some way, made you want to be a writer, or it could be any any way that it's affected you? can't really pinpoint it to one specific book. I just always loved books. When I was young, and I guess that's most kids do, um, your parents sort of read to you at bedtime, right? And my favorite was Green Eggs and Ham. <laughs> and my mother must have read that book over a million times. And <laughs> she sort of tried to get sneaky at a point and sort of tried to skip pages. And then I had memorized it from that point. I'd sort of, uh-uh, you have to go back. <laughs> You missed the part about, you know, so it started there, I think. And then from there, um, every Saturday, she would take us to the library and we could sort of run through the children's section and get whatever book we wanted. And then we'd take it back and come back the next Saturday and return them. And we do that again and again. You know, so the love of reading was always there. I don't think I sort of thought that I could possibly be a writer till much, much later because, you know, I'm a black kid from the south side of Chicago. I, mean, I don't know any writers. I mean, nobody in my family was a writer. I didn't even know at, at one point early on that books did not just sort of magically pop out of some patch somewhere. Um, <laughs> that there were actually people, people, humans, who actually sat down at a desk and wrote these stories that I loved so much. And I think when I found that to be true, I said, well, maybe I could sort of do it. And of course, I had no idea. And I didn't really think that I could. Uh, but it was just something that didn't go away. And so I just sort of tried it. Um, what could possibly happen? Um, how hard can it be? I actually sort of remember thinking, oh, it couldn't be that hard. I mean, it's only what 300 and some odd pages, I can probably write a page a day, and it'd probably be good. But it, it's a hard thing to sort of do. It's a difficult job. Most of the time you want to sort of tear your hair out uh, and you sort of pace the floor. You have no idea because I have no outline. I don't know what's going to happen. I sort of meet the, the blank page and build it from there. And it's a very sort of a frustrating way to sort of do it. But love of books first, uh, maybe thinking, eh, I probably can probably try it. How hard can it be? Finding out how difficult it was. And then sort of having a lifelong uh, career of pulling my hair out and trying to make it good. So, so my question is, you know, you said you liked to read Nancy Drew and things when you were younger. Was there an, a, you know, more of an adult crime mystery series that really grabbed your attention either before you started writing them or as you started writing them that made you think, you know, I really want to try this? Well, um, Nancy Drew and Hardy Boy sort of progressed into Agatha Christie. Once I found Agatha Christie, of course, she's got, what, 80-some books to sort of go through. This is great. I said, oh, this is wonderful. Now, most of the stuff took place, what, in some manor house in England. You know, no concept uh, to me. I had never seen England. I'd never been to a manor house over the weekend. You know, but <laughs> these books were just wonderful to me because they were puzzles. And it was good for me to sort of try to figure out how she did it. So I sort of ran through each and every one of the Agatha Christie books. Uh, they used to sort of come in pocket form when I was reading them. And I would take one, go to the bookstore, and I would get maybe two or three of them. I would read one, uh, finish it, put it on side, and start the other. And then I'd go back to the bookstore and get the other three. And then I sort of kept that up until I had finished them all and started rereading. And that sort of hit me into the sort of the era when all these female crime writers were sort of coming up. And then I sort of progressed to that. So from Agatha Christie to Sue Grafton and all the others. And that's where the bug sort of hit me. 
I can do this too. This is what interests me. Uh, strong female characters figuring it out on their own. They don't have a man sidekick. Um, they're in there sort of, uh, you know, solving the crime, finding the bad guy, catching the killer. And, and I want to do something like that. So then decades later, I finally had something that worked or looked like it might work. And, and that's where I sort of started and where I'm off and running. So yeah, it sort of started with Christy, pivoted to all the other wonderful writers out there. This sort of gave me the inspiration to just maybe try it myself. And then me sort of digging in and sort of teaching myself how to write and hopefully coming up with something that did not stink. <laughs> so like my mother is a huge mystery reader. And, and mm-hmm. I would say probably 90% of what she reads is mystery, crime, you know, something like that. Is that predominantly what you read for fun or do you kind of mix it up with, with lots of different things? That's primarily what I read for fun, just when I'm reading just for my own enjoyment. But I also like sort of history. So I like Tudor history. So I will read the biography of Henry VIII or uh, Anne of Cleves or, you know, whoever, just sort of uh, to clear my palate. But Mm -hmm. it's primarily mystery, primarily uh, mystery with female protagonists in it. But I like other things, too. So it, it sort of it hits that sort of crime niche, that genre. I love it. I love P.I. fiction. I love Hammett, um, Chandler. I read basically anything in that area, um, just anything that's interesting, anything that will sort of uh, spark my imagination and, and sort of give me a, a, a two or three hours at a, at a click. And then if I sort of read something that's 10 times better than mine, uh, there's a little ping of jealousy. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> I get you know, I get over it pretty quickly. Uh, good writing is good writing and you've got to appreciate it wherever you find it. So I will sort of read something from somebody else and say, oh man, that was perfect. Like, there's no <laughs> way I can do that. Uh, but you know, you just keep trying. You just keep trying. So does your love of like mysteries also transfer to when you watch like television shows and movies? Yeah, actually not so much enjoyable because I can sort of figure out who did it. You know? <laughs> Takes the fun out of it. <laughs> Ten minutes in, I said, "Oh man, it's it's that guy." I mean, and then fifty minutes, you have to go fifty minutes more to sort of find out you're right. Uh, it is that guy. That's how you sort of construct a, a plot. You know, you mm-hmm. sort of know where the things are and and how it's done. It's like sort of being a magician and then trying to fool yourself that the rabbit actually came out of the hat. You know, the mm-hmm. rabbit it was there all. You know, so you sort of know the tricks, but you can sort of still at some points convince yourself that maybe you, you didn't get it and still sort of enjoy it but you know you did get it and then you have another 50 minutes to sort of let everybody else figure it out but (laughs) (laughs) not so much fun as as sort of reading something that's uh, eloquently written and sort of gives you an experience when you're writing your books do you know from the beginning who did it kind of um I don't have an outline so I might have an idea of who I think the killer might be when I start and maybe half the time that will change because I've found an interesting or more interesting way of telling the story or an interesting angle that I didn't consider when I started. And it might be more dramatic or more uh, efficient this way. And the killer changes. So I'm a pantser, which means they sort of fly by the seat of our pants. And I go wherever the inspiration is. Um, we sort of get to the same place that outliners get to. We just sort of do it uh, in our head as opposed to sort of following the outline that's written down. So sometimes I do, uh, sometimes I don't. Sometimes when I do, uh, that might change and uh, it might be somebody else. But whatever serves the story best, whatever gives the characters a, a sort of a richer experience, I will go with that. 
Do you like to do puzzles? Do you ever do puzzles in your free time? Or, or maybe they might be like word puzzles or, or Sudoku or something. Is there, you, you seem to like that piece of it. I'm wondering if you do that in other aspects of your life. I don't because I, as my day job, I'm an editor and I edit uh, crossword puzzles and word oh. And so by the time I get to the, the writing phase, I'm not, int- I know I don't do puzzles on my free time. I do them during my day job. Uh, <laughs> that's enough. That's, that's enough. Uh, how many crossword puzzles can you do? I don't do the jumble on my day. That jumble is my day job. So I don't do it when I'm not working. How, how do you edit a crossword puzzle? I'm, I'm imagining, are you actually doing the puzzle to make sure it works out? Or I'm just curious about that. How do you edit that? All those little baby boxes I have to fill in. I have to make sure that the clues match the answers. I have to fill in each one of those boxes. I have to make sure that everything aligns. I have to make sure that there's nothing offensive in the puzzle. Oh. I have to make sure that everything is spelled right. I have to make sure that the number of clues matches the numbers on the boxes. I mean, all I mean, so, sort of. I have to do that for seven puzzles a week. Oh um, wow, that's what I said, and it's enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite enough. Uh, that's the, those seven puzzles for that week fills my puzzle desire to do a puzzle. That's it. That's all I can do. Is there a series that you have read recently, or you know, a part of a series that you've really liked that is? Uh, Yasmin Yango's uh, uh, night series. Uh, she's an assassin, and she sort of uh, has. It's sort of uh, affiliated with the uh, African tribe, and she's out there setting things right for the African tribe that she's sort of affiliated with. I like that series. Protagonist, and uh, she's an assassin. I just read uh, the first one, and I started the second one. Her name is Night. Um, so yeah, I like that series a lot. All right, so I have to ask this question just because. You know, I feel like this is something that that book lovers tend to discuss at one point or another. So, how do you feel about DNFing books? Do you do you do that, or or do you have to finish a book? Hmm. I think I've only not finished one book. Otherwise, I sort of try to stick with it because it may not appeal to me when I start. But you sort of get into a rhythm when you start a book. Something might be off with how the writer's crafts a sentence or how the thing paces itself. But you sort of get into that rhythm the further along you get. And I know how difficult writing a book is. It's a great deal of effort for any writer to sort of undertake it. And I just sort of try to give the writer the benefit of the doubt. So I sort of stick with it as much as I can. Most of the time, I'm surprised by the end because there was something building that you don't get if you stop at page 20. Uh, there was just one book, uh, Marsh, Nego, Nego Marsh, that I sort of started uh, maybe 10, 20 years ago. Didn't particularly care for it. I haven't been back. I'm probably missing something great. But there are other things to sort of uh, take the place. So I try to finish out of respect for the writer. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, I have find myself surprised and uh, delighted that I did stick with it. That's going to be rough for you, Carrie, because she'd finally gotten to the point where she would leave a book if she wasn't enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And, but now I'm concerned, Carrie, that you <laughs> that you might go back only because and I say this only because <laughs> she would complain about it. If she didn't complain about it, I wouldn't care. You have to sort of think that the writer has a plan that um, there's they know something that you don't yet. Yeah. You know, I'm to see where they're going. 
And most of the time, it sort of ends in a good place, unless you just completely don't like it at all. But I mean, that's something different. But um, if it just sort of, you know, you can't, you can't take another page, then I think you're free to sort of step out. But yeah, you know, if you sort of stick with it, and see where the plan is going, get into it. Um, I think you're pleasantly surprised most of the time. As a general rule, I, I mean, I'm also the type of person who eat, who will eat bananas, not because I like them, but because they're good for me. <laughs> now that so- I won't do. I won't do. <laughs> I don't like bananas. I'm not eating a banana. Uh, for how good it is for me. I'm not eating a banana. <laughs> like, I don't just, you know, read 20. I mean, I get like, I think the one I'm thinking of, it was like a 500 page book and I read mm-hmm. over 300. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I on. just. <laughs> you can't step out at that point. No, I did. I was like, I'm just, oh. yeah, yeah, I just, I did. But, but it doesn't happen often. Most of the time I'm a finisher. I'm trying to leave behind guilt. You know, it doesn't happen often, but I feel like because I don't do it all the time, when I do it, I need to do it, you know? Mm -hmm. So, well, I I think let's take a little break. uh, And then when we come back, we'll talk about what we're actually currently reading. We are back with Tracy Clark, the author of Hyde and her new police procedural series. And we're going to talk about what we're reading. So Carrie, what's been going on over there? Well, uh, Amy, the book I'm going to talk about, well, actually, you're not done reading it unless you did something amazing yesterday. But as no, of Thursday, I'm not night, done. But that's okay. Were- that's okay. <laughs> Okay. Well, I'm not going to give away anything major. So our book club this month read Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. And normally I do not read brand new books and mostly because I'm cheap. And, you know, so I'm not going to go buy a hard on copy. And it's also really hard to get them from the library or to get them on Libby. So generally I don't, but the book club said, you know, read this. So I said, okay. Uh, it's also not very often that I give a book five stars, but Lessons in Chemistry definitely deserves five stars. So the story follows Elizabeth Zott. She's a a chemist who is thwarted in her career aspirations by misogynistic men. And this book is set in the 1950s and early 1960s. She deals with physical and emotional harassment of varying degrees. And as the story progresses, she has to give up some of her dreams for the security of a regular paycheck. But she doesn't ever believe the BS that men keep throwing her way. And she makes some deeply meaningful friendships. And it's Elizabeth's attitude and moxie that motivates her friends to step out of line from the narrow confines of their existence. And, you know, when I when I was trying to think about telling what this book is about, you know, it might not sound maybe super interesting, like, oh, it's a chemist in the 1950s, but she has a romantic relationship and she ends up having a child and she develops this close friendship with her neighbor across the street who has a miserable marriage. And so it's really a book about connections and and friendship and kind of supporting other people. And, And when I wrote that, that what Elizabeth does, you know, motivates the women in her life to sort of step out of line, it reminded me of the speech. Now, I don't watch a whole lot of television, but Alex uh, Borstein from The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, she gave a speech, I think it was at the Emmys, and she talked about her grandmother, and her grandmother was about to be shot during the Holocaust, and she stepped out of line. 
uh, out of the line of people who were going to be shot. And because she did that, she wasn't shot. The The soldier said, I, I can't shoot you, but somebody else will. And she ended up surviving and going on to you know, have a child and then a grandchild who was this actress. And so that felt really like what this book is about. It's about stepping out of line a little bit. Some reviewers have complained that lessons in chemistry, you know, they're, they're like, well, it's unrealistic because of when it was set. And, and I agree to some extent, but the novel is super entertaining. It's funny. And it's a reminder to women to stop letting men and the patriarchal rules that were created long ago dictate what they do and how we live our lives. So I felt like it was, it was really overall an entertaining and empowering book. And so I give it five stars. Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. So I did not finish this book by the time that we had book club, which is very unusual for me. I am about 40% of the way through it now. But one of the things that I thought was very interesting about it is that the author is a debut author, and she's also 65. And I love that. And I also wonder if that gave her a different perspective on the subject matter that she's writing about. I'm sure. Yeah, Yeah. I'm sure. So, and I always love hearing about people who do something later in life that surprises people, you know, not that you can't write a book when you're 65, but that's not, that's not the expectation. You know, you always think of, you know, 20 year olds, uh, you know, writing books, you know, the people starting young writing books and to sort of make a life change like that and now become a best-selling author, I just think it's really awesome. Yeah. Well, I think that people who are in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s know that they can do stuff. It's everybody else who's like, people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s can't do stuff. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm certainly glad she did it, but we need to change that idea about what people are capable of doing and what what's amazing, you know, like, well, like you said, we, if somebody's young, we're like, oh, it's amazing. They're younger than 25 and they've done this. We need to give as much attention and kudos to the people who are older who do it. Well, Tracy, what have you been reading lately? Well, one of the perks of being a writer too is uh, that your friends, your writer friends send you their books to sort of read and, and, and give your opinion on. So, which is wonderful. I, I always love reading and the more things I have to read, the better I like it. And so I'm currently reading The Ninja's Oath by uh, Tori Eldridge. It's a new book in her uh, Ninja Warrior series. Lily Wong, who is sort of a uh, ninja assassin, but she works for a women's uh, refuge place and she rescues women from sort of precarious situations. And in this one, the latest entry, she has traveled to China, where uh, a friend of her father's grandniece is missing. And they think she's been sort of kidnapped by this sort of a weird crime family. And she has to go over there and try to find this kid, uh, 12 years old, before she is either sold away or or, or trafficked somewhere. Um, And so this uh, is what the Ninja's Oath is about. And I'm reading that. I think there are maybe two or three books or three or four books in the series. Each one is a gem. I love it. Uh, and I'm also reading uh, A Christmas Carol because I read it every December. I, I start on the first and I read all the way through and I might even start it again. I love it. Uh, it just sort of gives me in the mood of Christmas and learning what's important. And the language is so rich. I just love Dickens. So I that's what I read. I read it every December. I read it twice, maybe, and before Christmas sort of comes. And it just sort of gets me in the mood and gets me in the spirit of Christmas. So 
So when you, you've read it so many times yep. now, is it the kind of thing where you find a little something different in it each time? Yep. You've read um, it so many times yes. now, you think there couldn't be anything else you could find in it. <laughs> I always do because I'm sort of, a, uh, I write my sentences by hearing them, by rhythm. And Dickens has such a rich sentence rhythm. And I, as many times as I've read it, every December since I don't know when, um, you can sort of find something different, uh, something, a different sound, a uh, different word choice that you sort of, you know, you thought you knew, but you, you sort of hit it a different way this time. But it's just wonderfully rich, wonderfully multi-layered. I think you know the story and you probably do. Yeah, I, I know what he meant by that. But when you sort of read the words again, and really focus on how he places the words in the sentence and how that sentence sort of builds upon the other. It's just a wonderful thing to sort of revisit every year. So you said that um, you love Dickens. Do you have another one of his works that you particularly like? Um, let's see. I like Oliver Twist. Uh, I read that occasionally. David Copperfield, I like that. Um, yeah, I, I kind of like okay. Dickens. All right. Well, Amy... So what have you been working on? What are you going to talk about? I read a book recently called American Fever by Dore Aziz Amna. And she's a Pakistani-American writer. And this is her debut novel. It was published this past August. And it received lots of praise at the time from the USA Today, the Christian Science Monitor, and the Chicago Review of Books. And the book is about a 16-year-old Pakistani girl named Hira who comes to the U.S. as a foreign exchange student for a year. And while most of the other Pakistani exchange students are sent to either suburban or urban areas with Muslim American families, Hira is assigned to a rural community in Oregon that her host family is a single mom raising a teen daughter on her own. So immediately we have a culture clash. And for me, there were two major conflicts in the story. The first one is that this is a coming of age story. And there's this tension that Hira feels because one, she's both at the same time glad to be away from her family in Pakistan and to have freedom, but yet she's also resentful of Americans assuming that America is better than her country. It's a little bit like, um, I can say complaints about my family, but if someone else made those kinds of comments and found fault, that would really rub me the wrong way, right? Like I can talk smack about my family, but nobody else can. And that's sort of the case with, with Hira and her home country of Pakistan. But it, the second conflict in the book is that while Hira is in America, she comes down with TB. She tests, she tested positive before she left Pakistan, but her father told her it wasn't a big deal because everyone tests positive in Pakistan. So she's, you know, she comes over to the U.S. and about halfway through the year, she becomes really, really ill. And, um, you know, they diagnose her with tuberculosis, which sends sort of shockwaves through the community. She's quarantined and she can't return home because she's highly contagious. So she, you know, she has to stay local. But, you know, again, the townspeople are kind of upset because she's exposed them, them all to tuberculosis. So I found this book to be fairly fast paced. It's an easy read. And it made me face my own assumptions 
Um, because at one point, Hera resents a comment that her host mother made that basically saying, wouldn't she certainly want to stay in the U.S. for school for the future? Because she, wouldn't she have better opportunities? And in some ways, Hera agrees, but she also hates the way that Americans assume that everyone from other countries, especially non-Western countries, wants to move here. And so I'll admit that I have made that presumption myself and that maybe the American dream as we see it isn't really the ultimate goal for everybody. So um, again, the name of this book is American Fever by Dore Aziz Amna. And I really enjoyed it. I gave it four stars. That sounds like a good book. Uh, That sounds intriguing. Well, let's take another quick break. And when we come back, we are going to ask Tracy the three in the third degree we're, we're going to put her it's going to be like an interrogation tracy so <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> <Get ready. laughs> yeah we're putting her in that stinky nasty uh, interrogation room down at the station <laughs> with Tracy Clark, uh, author of Hyde. And Tracy, I want to know, what is your perfect hot dog? I ask this because you have something, a little something about this on your bio, on your, Mm -hmm. I think it's your website. Yeah. So what's your perfect hot dog? Well, I'm from Chicago, so we've got our own hot dog. Okay. For, I, I don't go for in the pickles and the hot peppers and everything just because I don't like them. But what I have on my hot dog usually is, uh, the really bright green relish, which is, uh, what the hot dog has and mustard. That's it. I don't put anything else on it. Uh, I don't get fancy. Uh, that's what I like on my hot dog. Now, other Chicagoans have to have the whole Magilla. Uh, that's great for them. Um, I keep it simple. Mm. Relish. Yeah, well, Relish. what I read is that you do not ever want no. ketchup. No, no, no ketchup. No. no ketchup goes in a hot dog. It just cannot go. I mean, it just is not a thing. Uh, <laughs> especially not here. Uh, if you put your ketchup on a hot dog and you're out in the street with people, it's not going to end well for you. Um, so I would suggest if you're visiting Chicago, you want to have a wonderful experience, and you're going to go for a Chicago hot dog, do not reach, reach for the ketchup. Just don't do it. Um, <laughs> I mean, will people say stuff to we, you? We cannot protect you if you put ketchup <laughs> on your hot dog. Okay? Keep it you will be arrested. Arrested. <laughs> we will not probably accost you in the street. I mean, we're not animals. Um, but you will get side eye. You will get some looks. Um, you probably get some wise guy who will say, hey, what are you doing? Uh, you can't put ketchup on a hot dog. Um, but that's probably the extent of it. But I would just advise if you're visiting wonderful city, we we'll do great things here. Do not, do not, do not put ketchup on your hot dog. <laughs> I couldn't bring my 15 year old there. <laughs> or at least I can bring him there because we've been to Chicago, but uh-huh. he did not eat a hot dog. And it sounds like that's probably for the best. You know what? Stick with the pizza. Okay. <laughs> go to the big dish, dish piece of place, Lou Malnati's, I would uh, recommend. Just go have a nice slice of really thick pizza and just keep it simple. Gotcha. Good, no good advice. <laughs> All right. You are a black and white movie fan. A perfect Sunday for me is uh, I've got no writing to do. I've either handed something in or it's done. And I sort of can pick up uh, a, a thin man's movie, Murder Loy, uh, just sort of sit there. Asta, the whole deal, bag of chips. Um, that's my Sunday. I love those kinds of movies. Uh, I can watch them back to back to back. 
And if there's a marathon on, I'm done for the day. Um, but those are the kinds of movies that I like to sort of watch on a, on a rainy Sunday or a really cold Sunday when I have nothing else to do. I like the old Bowery Boys movies. I love those too. I like watching them. Anything sort of old, black and white, anything uh, with a zoot suit or uh, somebody noir, sort of a feel to them. Uh, that's a good time for me. Are you watching a certain channel where you sort of have all these movies or do you have them like on disc or? Here's the deal. Um, I'm sort of a nerd. So I have my <laughs> library of my movies. I have my MGM musicals on uh, one shelf. I've got uh, Harvey Girls. I've got The Wizard of Oz. I've got all those little movies on there on one shelf. Then I have my mystery shelf. So I have uh, the Thin Man series. I've got my Dashiell Hammonds. I've got all those things going. I've got the Maltese Falcon. So I have my sort of tastes on each shelf. And so when I have a free time or a free Sunday or whatever, uh, I just sort of pick one depending on what my mood is. And uh, either I want to sing and dance and sort of just snap my fingers or else I'm looking for, uh, you know, the Maltese Falcon. So, um, yeah, I have my, my library. Very cool. Okay. Your last question. Actually, Chicago is one of my favorite cities ever. Um, I love visiting there. But as a local, what is an underrated Chicago destination or a hidden gem that you would recommend to visitors? Hmm. You know what? I would just recommend that visitors branch out. Most people come to Chicago and Chicago means to them uh, the Magnificent Mile or downtown or whatever, or the zoo or whatever. I would just sort of venture out to some of the neighborhoods. They're nice. We've got nice people living in them. I would suggest is just sort of venture far afield and sort of figure out what the whole city is about. Um, we've got Chinatown and uh, Greek town and we've got all kinds of towns around. We've got people everywhere, different flavor, different smells, different experiences. So I would suggest the next time you're in Chicago to just sort of pick a neighborhood, just pick a neighborhood and just go and just sort of walk the streets and figure out what it's about and, and have some good food and, and go back home uh, with feeling richer for the experience. We were just in Chicago in September and we did a Chicago to Chinatown mm. walking tour. Oh, there you go. And, uh, and it was, it was awesome. It was really yeah. amazing. And I didn't realize uh, how big the Chinatown was in Chicago. You know, you hear about them in New York City and mm -hmm. San Francisco, but I didn't realize how vibrant the one was in Chicago. It was a fantastic yep. tour. It's a thriving neighborhood, and we've got millions of them around here. Um, South side, north side, west side. Uh, east side is a lake, but, you know, you can only go so far <laughs> there um, but, <laughs> before your feet get wet. I mean, but we've got a lot of good stuff here. So I would suggest people come, experience it, and have a good time. Very good. Well, Tracy, it's been so fun chatting with you again, both Amy and I, I, I finished it up you know, just 20 minutes before we started recording, but Hyde uh, is awesome. I wanted to finish it. I was like, I've got to know what happens. And, and it was a great book, quick read. So congratulations. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I had a good time. You can find Tracy Clark on social media, on Instagram at tpclark2000 and at her website, tracyclarkbooks.com For show notes for any episode please visit our website at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com We're also on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod and on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover If you like what we're doing with the show tell a friend Word of mouth is one of the best ways to help people find us or leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform like Apple Podcasts and Spotify 
Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org.